Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the From the Shadows podcast. I am the producer, Jason Lewis. I would like to thank you for tuning in to the From the Shadows podcast. And without further ado, here is your host, Shane Grove. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to uh, this week's episode, which is the second part of the uh, the interview with uh, Chris Hahn and Gary Jones on the From the Shadows podcast, and with me is Jason, the producer. Um, how you doing today, Jason? Hey, doing good, Shane. Doing good. How about yourself? Hey, I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's kind of late. I'd, I'd almost like to be in bed, but you know, uh, duty calls. We uh, we want to get this uh, episode out for all of our loyal listeners and uh, followers and. Uh, so, so tell me, what did you think of uh, part one of the interview with uh, Chris and Gary? I found it rather intriguing. I liked it, and um, I talked to Gary since we've recorded that interview, and he liked it also. We may have him on as a guest for future projects and other things that we have planned and things that he has planned for later on in the future. He's got some big things coming his way. Well, well yeah, he's got some big things. Uh, and Everybody that's uh, tuning into this episode will uh, hear about one of those big things in particular, and it's uh, something that uh, uh, you and I had a uh, had a nice nice little uh, appearance in is the uh, forthcoming Escape from Death Block Thirteen. So uh, hopefully everybody uh, everybody. Uh, is excited about that as we are, obviously, uh, especially after they hear this episode. So oh, I'm stoked. I believe everybody else is. <laughs> it's getting a lot of buzz around the internet as well as, uh, and actually in Hollywood, even though it's not even a Hollywood production. So I well, think we're going to do really well with that. 
I gotta say, I gotta, I gotta say, Jason. Once they see uh, some of the acting you did, you never know. Hollywood <laughs> <might> come call. <laughs> Hollywood or Cleveland, I don't know. Somebody might come call. You never but, know. Uh, you never know what could be lurking in the shadows, right? Oh yeah, movie career, right? Oh yeah. So uh, and so, part of uh, these two episodes that we've just done. When, when you get done, in fact. Maybe uh, we can encourage people right now because um, we're running a contest that um, to go along with this episode. That if you will go like our Facebook page, then go join our After the Shadows forum on Facebook. On the After the Shadows forum, you can uh, start a feed there. And tell us what your favorite scary slash Halloween movie is. Uh, kind of ties into some of the stuff we talk about at the end of the second episode. And if you do that, um, you'll get get put into a, I guess you, we could call it a drawing, to win one of our uh, t-shirts. One of our From the Shadows t-shirts. And, yeah, uh, and they are pretty cool, I might add. I think well, you'll they, enjoy them. Yeah, they are. They are. Uh, they're nice, nice T-shirts, and uh, I gotta say, if you're the only one that goes on and, and does both of those things, then you know what? You're gonna be the one that wins the T-shirt. <laughs> so, so by all means, get on there and do that. I mean, well, who doesn't like a free T-shirt, right? Yes, folks. Um, we love the interaction. We love to hear things that interest you, or places that you would like us to investigate, or people you would like us to talk about. Or we would just love to hear some of the things that you have experienced, some of the unexplained things that may have happened in your life. Um, everything's fair game. You have a solid platform here at the From the Shadows podcast, and that's one of the great ways to get a hold of us is through our forum on Facebook called After the Shadows. And make sure you like us on our uh, regular Facebook page, which is facebook.com from the shadows podcast. We have a website now where you can go to, which is a centralized location and it has all of the podcast directories that we are on. So you don't have to try to remember them and go back and forth. Uh, pretty yeah. soon we're even going to have an embedded um, player there so that you can actually be able to listen to the podcast from the website, along as keep keep up with uh, all the new stuff that we have planned for you in the near future here. And that website happens to be from the shadows podcast.godaddysites.com. Yeah, that's, uh, it's great that you mentioned all that stuff because uh, one of the things that we, uh, a new little segment um, that we started this week from our, uh, and dare I say, she obviously is the youngest member and has to be the cutest member is Reese. Uh, and and Reese, is, Reese is doing a little segment called Reese's Something to Talk About. Um, she is uh, she's actually the daughter of uh, one of our sponsors, Todd Redmond. And uh, she is, uh, the funny thing is, she's the same age right now that Todd and I were when we started getting into the old you know, UFO, the ghost bug, the Oak Island uh, mystery, you know, all that stuff that uh, we kind of really dug when we were her age. And she 
she said she, this was something she wanted to do. She wanted to be part of the podcast. I guess so, it runs in the family. That's quite a coincidence there, Shane. <laughs> I know. It's kind of, it, it is. It's kind of cool to see that uh, all of our nerdiness back in the day has rubbed off on at least one of our kids between us. And, and uh, so, yeah, Reese has done, done a cool little thing. She's done a video, uh, and she's going to do one each week, and she's going to throw it out there. And it's another chance for uh, for our fans and followers to kind of interact and and tell Reese what you think about her, uh, you know, whatever the subject is she talks about each week. So, uh, so you know, get on there and interact with Reese. I mean, uh, if nothing else, she's cute, and some of the stuff she's uh, talking about doing, it's it's pretty informative pretty cool she's very Um, articulate for a young girl she really (laughs) is i think she'll be uh quite insightful and you'll find her very enjoyable as well yeah everybody ought to get a kick out of her and so before we uh, get into this episode there's one more thing we want to talk about um jason you and jerry are going to make a special trip on saturday night down to the uh ross opera house in kentucky with the Ohio Paranormal Society. Yes, that um, is true. You want to tell everybody a little bit about that, what they can expect, and uh, um, is there going to be some exciting behind-the-scenes stuff that, that, that people can uh, maybe keep on a lookout for this weekend? Yes, I believe so, Shane. Uh, we're going to have some special things. We're going to have some interviews with the uh, owner of the Ross Opera House, and uh, a lot of the members and the investigators that will be there investigating uh, the place will be interviewing them, as well as our investigator, Jerry. He'll be doing some investigating his own self, as well as um, building ties for future work with the uh, Ohio Paranormal Investigation Society. And uh, there's some exciting things that are going to be coming our way. But we're going to have something special for you folks uh, starting this weekend. And we might have a little special um, Halloween uh, episode, I might say. Not to drop any hints or anything like that. But uh, there might be a little something special that will come out for you. Well, as long as we don't have to dress up for the Halloween uh, episode. Um, But I may sit there and eat a bunch of candy while I listen to it. And we'll definitely have some photos. So uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but keep up on our Instagram at fromtheshadows.com. Uh, yeah. We will have, we good, have an Instagram also. And uh, I think that would be a good, uh, it's probably a good uh, place to do, uh, put some photos and, and a little bit of video up this weekend on, you know, on Saturday night if you guys, uh, you guys uh, get some cool stuff. Um, oh, yeah. So hold so I'm hoping, Jason, that you finally get to experience a little something. Oh, I'm and, looking uh, forward to it. I'm stoked. <laughs> and, and just in I, case you've never been to our Instagram, just remember it's Instagram.com forward slash From the Shadows Podcast. <laughs> well, the one thing I do, would be eager to see is Jerry tackling a ghost. Now, I know we've talked about him tackling Bigfoot. I really like to see him try to tackle a ghost. Our fearless investigator, Jerry, will tackle just about anything that is paranormal or supernatural. Well, if you can get that on tape, 
that would be that would be fantastic. I plan on it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we won't uh, take up any more uh, time and we'll get you guys back to the second part of the uh, the uh, Chris Hahn and Gary Jones interview. And uh, make sure you guys keep on a lookout for any uh, uh, pictures and video from uh, Jason and Jerry that Jerry this weekend. Um, so until uh, till Halloween, we'll uh, we'll see uh, see you after the uh, from the Shadows podcast next week. And for right now, sit back and enjoy this new episode here. I think you'll find it entertaining. It'll pick up right where it left off last week. And you'll get a little uh, little information about an upcoming movie, which the cat's out of the bag about that already. Escape from Death Block 13. And uh, Cell Block 13, excuse me. And uh, we... No, will, you're right. It's Death it Block It is Death Block 13. 13. Yeah, Escape from Death Block 13. You're absolutely you're right. Career in a hot, we're un, career we're unscripted here, folks. We're doing this straight <laughs> from the hip. This here is real live conversation this is just in between stuff in the process of editing while we get this episode ready for you and we enjoy doing this and uh i cannot i cannot encourage you enough to interact with our social media so we can know what you're thinking uh put some ideals out there that you would like us to investigate uh, we really appreciate that and interaction is what makes this all come together because we're here for you we enjoy doing this, but we want to surround and make a community and have a platform that other people can come and they can share what they've experienced. And together, we will discover what is in the shadows. All right. All right. Well, let's get on with the second part of this interview. Enjoy the episode. And Shane, I will talk to you later. All right. See ya. See ya. So now, ladies and gentlemen, we return back to the interview. So, Gary, you want to yeah. give us uh, give us the the backstory? I mean, was on mosquito, mosquito like your first big big thing, or had you done some stuff? Well, I, I had worked in I had worked on other people's movies before that. Um, I came up wanting to make movies, and I I was always fascinated with special effects, you know, firecrackers, squibs, and blowing up GI Joes and things, and building miniatures and rubber monsters. And so I came up through special effects, and that's kind of how I got a foothold doing commercial work in Detroit. And then little by little, I started working on other independent films that were being made in Michigan. And that was kind of the way I, I broke into it. I was doing effects for other people. All, all pretty much at that time was all practical effects. I would do pyrotechnics, I would do makeup effects, uh, build sets, props, all kind of specialty stuff. And so that was sort of the background that got me on the set so I could watch the other directors and figure out the system on how to, how does it work? You know, how do you get to do that stuff? And so I worked on several movies, you know, uh, coming up. I worked on, uh, one of the first movies I worked on was called uh, The XYZ Murders, which was really, came out as Crime Wave, which was Sam Raimi's second movie. And I was a PA on that one, just helping put cars in the background and driving and stuff. But then I started working on special effects, and I did a, worked on a movie called Moon Trap, where we built all the miniatures and made robots. And then I worked on Evil Dead 2, making uh, miniature trees attack a cabin. And, and then Army of Darkness, where I was doing pyrotechnics and building catapults and all kind of you know mechanical effects. But from there, I was always formulating and heading towards 
my goal of making movies, and I came up with the idea about doing giant mosquitoes. I'm a big fan of all the giant monster movies from the 50s, you know, them the, yeah. with the giant the ants was always like the uh, Like the H.G. Wells Food of the Gods. All that stuff, yeah. yes. But the, in particular, them, which was about the giant ants, there was a sound effect. They wouldn't, a lot of times you didn't see the ants, but you heard that weird sound effect over yeah. the horizon, you knew they were coming. You know, so you cover up the sugar bowl. Here they come, right? They're gonna, they're gonna get you. That and that goes back to that. Once they showed you those monsters once or twice, you heard that sound. You knew they were coming, and so they could get away with that. So, but that was my entry. Was I worked on all these other movies? I was in California working on Army of Darkness, and we finished that up. And I'm like, all right, now I got to go back home to Michigan. I'm like, now I'm going to make my own movies. So I moved back and. Uh, me and a couple other filmmaking friends got together and we raised some money and we just started making this movie and it wrote the script. Figured nobody had done mosquitoes before. So we figured, all right, how big? And I'm thinking, oh, maybe they're a foot. And I'm like, no, we make them about three or four foot. They could almost carry you away. Plus it also actually made it easier for us to build the monsters. Because now we actually had something you could hold in your hand so we could build them all of latex rubber and cable operated. And, we flew them on an overhead crane, and we had flapping wings. We had like um, satellite dish servo motors we put in there and made the wings flap and spin and all that. And so there were all there was all practical effects. So we built all these giant bugs and you know made this movie called Mosquito. And the idea was to use every technique we could to make these mosquitoes be in the film. Everything from miniatures to full-size practical effects. We have one or two shots in the movie which are stop motion animation, which is a little puppets that you move frame for frame. A friend of mine I had met had done a lot of commercial work, he was a stop motion animator, and I said, you know, I loved all the Ray Harry Hawson movies of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad and Gold Voyage of Sinbad, the model animation, you know, yeah, the King right. Kong and Mighty yeah. Joe Young. And I'm like, and you know, it, to honor all those movies, we have to use every technique. And uh, so that's what we did, but we made Mosquito, and uh, we made it you know, very, very inexpensively. And I kind of told everybody it was the movie it was a million dollar movie, a million dollar idea. Nobody had done giant mosquitoes. Million dollar mosquito. So we took the movie out to California and, and we screened it for a bunch of distributors and we sold it to a company that uh, they put out movies like Platoon and The Terminator. So we sold it to that company for a million dollars. Of course, we didn't get the million dollars at the end of the day. That's the Hollywood story, but... Uh, but that was my entry out there. You know, that's what got me out there. And um, the movie did, they put it out, and the movie did really, really well. And uh, the company went bankrupt and took us a few years to get the movie back. But uh, it, it, was the, it was the great lesson where I learned how to make a movie making that movie. Then I went out to Hollywood and dealt with the politics in the industry, and I learned on the very first movie the reality, the way the world really works. You know, and um, so I got it all within two years, and I went, okay, now I get it. Yeah, but that was my entry in was Mosquito, and ever since then I went, you know, I gotta top this somehow. You know, there's another great idea out there, another movie, another place to go, and you know, there's so many stories to tell. You know, and so that was like, okay, take that learning experience. What do I do next? You know, and it kind of took off from there. So. Tell us about your current project, because Chris is involved in it. And, well, and everybody, everybody in the room. Everybody in the room has had a chance to it. Right. So. I, think, I think everybody in this room has actually been on camera at least <laughs> once, maybe five times. <laughs> so it's a uh, so, so having 
all the members of the of the from the shadows podcast having been involved in and in little bits and pieces some more than others um tell us what the movie's about movie is looks exciting i've seen the the trailer on youtube looks exciting um i want to do a uh a big fan growing up in the 70s and the early days of all the charles bronson the action movies and all the great actors back then, you know, with um, Steve McQueen and everybody, you know, The Getaway and <clears throat> Mr. Majestic and Death Wish and Dirty Doesn't, you know. I mean, those were great movies back in the day. And I'm like, all right, that's kind of what's lacking. I wanted to make an action movie. You know, I'd done a lot of creature features and horror movies. And I thought, I'm going to do an action movie, a real retro action movie. So I came up with this idea called Escape from Death Block 13. And since we all live, you know, a stone's throw from... Uh, the Mansfield Reformatory, which was the Shawshank Prison, right. and um, it seemed it was a natural. I'm like, this is perfect. You know, we got the Shawshank Prison. Our guys can go there. You know, we can create this whole story where they get the weapons and they got to shoot their way out. And so, came up with this story, Escape from Death Block 13, and started putting it together. And uh, talked with Chris, who starred an axe giant, played played the axe giant character. I wrote a part for him called Bunyan, right. who is like. The king of the cell block, the badass guy who runs the cell block, the loud mouth, the guy that nobody stands up to, and all this and that. Exactly, <laughs> Johnny Paradise Johnny in prison. Exactly, Johnny, Johnny Paradise, Paradise in prison. <laughs> so basically, the story is a uh, uh, Mick um, Kovacs uh, is a gentleman who comes from Hungary. He comes to Ohio to basically collect a death benefit for his brother who has died at a, a local factory. He gets mixed up with the mob. Things happen. He ends up getting thrown into prison. He gets uh, accused of something he didn't commit, crime, and he ends up going to prison. And while he's in prison, he kind of discovers the prison is being run. Uh, the state's run out of money, and so now they hire outside contractors to run some of the local prisons. Well, this particular prison uh, needs renovation, so they hire this outside company to run it and hire the guards and, and basically... Uh, to control the prison, but also they use the inmates to renovate and do the work on the prison. So they start out with 100 inmates and eventually they'll bring more in. Our hero gets there and discovers something might be going on a little nefarious. The, the guards and the warden might not be on the up and up. And of course he's gonna run into Bunyan, who's Chris Hahn, the king of the cell block, and action is gonna ensue, of course, at that point. And so, yeah, we've been, uh, we started the production last year we shot for a few weeks at the prison. We've been doing a lot of pickup shoots, and uh, we're in post-production right now, right. finishing the editing up, got all the visual effects in the works, got our sound and music kind of started, so it's it's coming together, and um, got a few more months, and hopefully we're gonna get a premiere here soon. Yeah, we get it done. Probably the, and for me, it, I've always played more of a lower role in a movie, and this is the first time I've been actually, not the lead, but like the head supporting cast part of the cast and, and we shot from four o'clock at night till four o'clock in the morning and it was long nights and we did one that one fight scene took what almost about two or three days two or three days and it was me hitting the ground getting back up me hitting the ground getting back up and I was tired and uh but I tell you what it was probably the best experience and and now watching it being put together I'm, I'm so excited about it because it's just phenomenal the way it looks and in the whole Every, when everything because they never shoot in sequence so you really never know how it's going to go yeah. until you actually see it all put together and edited together and stuff 
And it's, I mean, like very, when I was a kid, I thought that you shot movies in sequential order, like read no. the book. Yeah. No, okay, it's first scene. We're gonna shoot, but then you find out. I can't remember how old I was. And I found that's not how they do it. I'm like, no way. And I remember thinking, well, how do the actors how remember they, their how, stuff? Yeah, yeah, and how they remember the stuff? And in, in like, you may be shooting a scene that's going to be at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you have to have all this pre-existing right. knowledge of everything that's happened, but you don't really know because you never really shot the scene. Yeah, well, that's like I that's, guess that's why it's called acting. Well, it's the, you know, it's the job of the it's the job of the actors. The director has to lead them along and get them like, okay, at this point in the movie, you know, this and this and this has happened, and you know, you're not happy, you know, and this is what's going on. So the director has to bring the actor and kind of into the moment, but it's up to the actors, and they know they'll read the script, they know their part. Then got, their job is, the tough job that they have is they got to go, okay, well, today I'm shooting the end, you know, the end of the movie. Right. I've gone through all this already. Where's my emotional state? It's always, you know, we try to get, at least shoot scenes as much in order as possible. You always kind of do a master of a scene so everybody kind of gets through it, knows where they're going to go, where the dog's going and all the emotions. But, you know, you have to break it up, too. you got to go in for close-ups over-shoulder coverage of the other actor. And so, you know, an actor's got to do it 15 different ways, you know? Sure. And they got to keep it the same, you know? Like, if I, you know, they've got to keep the cadence, they got to keep it going. And it's not it's not as easy as, like, you know, we see stage plays. You know, right. you watch people do a performance. Yeah. Well, they're doing their performance right to the beginning. Nobody yells, cut. All right, now do that again. Now do that again. See, my job is to harass the actors and make them do it 15 times and then throw them a curveball. But as a director, I'm trying to, I'm looking for bits and pieces that I'm going to be able to use. And you have to figure out how to talk to each actor differently. They're not all the same. So yeah, it's... Just get, the scary thing for me was, was um, Gary comes to the gym, works out with me. I'm a personal trainer. And Gary comes in and we work out together. We kind of talk about what's going on and stuff. And he told me about this about three or four months previous to when he had it all written and completed and started. And he goes, you're going to have quite a bit of dialogue. And... Uh, my whole thing is, my character's more in in the past has been based on presence. I walk in the room. I'm six foot one ish, maybe six two on a good day, and I'm about two hundred and fifty five pounds. And so when I enter the room, my presence I always play a bodyguard or a bouncer or a thug or something. I may only have one or two lines, and that's about it. Well, in this movie, I got more than one or two lines. And when he first told me you're going to have quite a bit of dialogue, I was kind of nervous because I never really did a lot of dialogue. And I never really had to do a lot of memorization and stuff like that. The nice thing about it was a lot of it was my catchphrases from the wrestling world. So I already knew the dialogue. It was already in my head because for 28 years as a professional wrestler, I would always come out and say, I'm the king of the ring. Nobody can beat me. And I'd pound on my chest and do all the King Kong stuff and like that. So, Gary, why didn't you just let him... Improvise all of his lines. Well, he, uh, you know, <laughs> I, he did let me do some of that. You know, seriously, I mean, I knew that was coming. I the nice thing about Gary is, is, it may not be word for word, yeah. but it's as long as the same meaning's coming out, he doesn't have an issue with it. But if I say it one way, I got to say it that way the whole time because you're doing an angle from above, you're doing an angle from below, you're doing an angle from the left, an angle from the side, and so it's got to come out the same time or the same way all the time. So. At 4 o'clock in the morning, when you're just dragging because you've been up for 12 hours and then you got a line to say, sometimes you don't think as fast or move as fast. I remember the one night I took a pre-workout drink during our fight scene stuff, 
And he looked at me and he just shook his hand. He goes, how are you getting all that energy, dude? He goes, you just don't stop. Because I hit the ground, get back up, do it again. Hit the ground, get back up, do it again. Now we got to move the camera to this side. Hit the ground, get back up, do it again. And I tell you what, I slept pretty good. Because I'm not a day sleeper at all, you know. I think if everybody had one chance to go for a day and stand behind the scenes and watch a movie being made, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily ruin the magic for them, but they would at least appreciate it. Appreciate everything that goes. Definitely. And that's you know, I can tell. Oh, they're just making movies. They're just it's just having messing around. It's got to be so much fun. But it is it's a lot of hard work. But well, you know, it's like with, with, with what we did in the in the Bunyan movie and in the um, Death Block movie, we shot with me a week at a time, and then we'd take a, maybe a week or so off, and then we do and move to a different location. Then we shoot another week, take some time off, move. Some of these movies will shoot twenty eight days straight, and if you're doing a fight scene and you're doing a lot of fight scenes, this action movie, and you're shooting for twenty eight days straight with two days off. And then five days with two days off, five days. And you're doing like five weeks of that. That's got to be rough. I've never had an experience to do that. I, hopefully someday I do. But as of right now, I've never had. But a week of it is rough because the first week at the prison, we had quite a few fight scenes. Day and, one. And I was day. in every fight scene. <laughs> we, started, we started the movie with the, right. the first day we did a big fight scene. Well, one of the things, you know, when I, getting back to the, the Chris's character, I mean, I wrote the character for Chris, right? So I... I knew I was going to put Chris in this movie. And I'm like, okay, he's going to play the bad guy of the prison. And since I, you know, okay, now I've known Chris for several years, right? I know exactly how he talks. I can hear him, you Even know, file away. I know exactly where he's going. And I'm like, okay, the character is, it's Johnny Paradise. So it was real easy for me to put the dialogue in there. I know this is what, Chris, you know. And then once I wrote it all, you know, there would be, if Chris made a change or two, he just made it his own, you know. Yeah. You know, and that's I try to do that for all the parts. It's like there's, you know, I write the the all the dialogue for the actors, but when I bring those actors in, I want them to bring something to it. And, and nine nine times out of ten, what I find is that that actor, once they take that part on, they know the part better than me as the guy that created it because they're living it. And so if they can change the voice or change a line and make it their own, you know, I'm looking for real something real out of it, you know. Because sometimes you can just read these lines and you know they're just flat as a pancake. This is terrible. So if an actor can take it and put their own inflection in it or change a word, as long as it doesn't change the meaning, you know, like, get the hell in the cell, you know, or, you know, like, hey, let's go to eat breakfast. That ain't going to work, right? But they can take that one line and make it their own. So this was, you know, I wrote this for Chris. And I'm like, the part was a certain part. And I went, you know what? As I was getting through the script, I went, no, this movie's got to make a big left change, you know, because I had a big, big action thing that was coming for Chris. I won't give it away, but um, then I made a big left turn. And um, it was interesting. The movie, I had it all pretty much planned out. And because of the starts and the stops and the shoots, uh, I was able to add more things in and make meals out of things and take advantage of the mistakes that were the things that didn't work out or like, oh, that's kind of cool. We should play that up more, you know, or we can go this direction. So you got, as a filmmaker, creative person, you have to take the disadvantages and turn them into advantages. And it's kind of what I've been doing my whole career. You know, on every project, there's always stuff. And you go, all right, that didn't work or that worked great. Well, hey, that's more interesting. Can I make that work in the movie? 
So I'm always looking. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to So on that, you're, you know, you're talking about taking disadvantages and making advantages. Has there ever been a time and, uh, in the movies that you've done or the jobs that you got hired to do or taken on where it just turned out it, it was so awful? I mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to name names or anything, but it was so awful. How did you then... Did you make it? <laughs> like, was there something just so terrible? How did you? How did you fix it? How did you fix it? How did you make it better? I mean, was there? So, I mean, basically, has there been something that you just wish? At the time, you wished you hadn't taken the job or yes. done the job. But but then yeah. at the end, maybe you said, "Okay, I I've really learned from this experience. This is going to make me better." Or was it just so bad that you could? No, well, I mean, you know, it, it, it became one of my favorite movies of mine. Was a, I'll tell you, the movie was called Crocodile 2, Death Swamp. Crocodile And um, it was my second, uh, third feature film, I'm sorry. I did Mosquitoes, Spiders, and then this one's Crocodile. It was for the same company I did a movie called Spiders for. And uh, when I got the script, it's a good script and everything, and it was about a plane that crashes... And it's supposed to crash in like Louisiana swamp, and the heroes are being stalked by a giant, you know, crocodile. And uh, so then they, the, you know, I signed on board. I, was, you know, was getting ready to prep it, and then the producers decided, well, we're going to shoot this movie in Mexico. So they changed it to like, okay, now the plane will crash in, you know, in Acapulco. You know, they're going down there for a holiday, and they wanted to move the production to Mexico so they could because of the financing. Well. So we started prepping that, and then one of the producers flew to India, and there's a big studio in India that makes, they make tons of movies in India, and he flew to a place called... Bollywood out there. Bollywood, yeah. Yeah, And he flew to a place called Hyderabad, and there was a big studio down there called Ramoji's Film City. Ramoji Rowe is this billionaire and um, financer and and businessman, and he built him, he came out to Hollywood back in the late, late 70s, early 80s, and he went to Universal Studios, and he went, this is what I want. And he went back to India. When he went back home, and he built himself a movie studio, and he's been making movies there. Well, one of my producers went there and saw the place and talked to them and came back and said, I can make the movie for half the price again now. So we went from shooting to Louisiana to Mexico. Now we're going to go to India. And, of course, I'm like, all right, how am I going to do this? It's still supposed to be people flying from Southern California to, to uh, Acapulco and they crash and I'm like but I'm going to be in India so you know <laughs> doesn't look anything like <laughs> doesn't look you can find land that kind of looks similar but you know and you can say what you want but you know people in different countries skin color nothing doesn't matter people they're their own you know where you're at Right, it's a it's a whole field. They have their own culture. It's everything, cultures and everything. And so you know, we got there, and I'm like, okay, I'm casting all these Indian actors and stuff, and we're supposed to be in Mexico. It doesn't. You can from a distance, it kind of looks like it can all work. It worked out okay. It was just when I. It, that's not what the problem was. The problem I had is when I got there, I fell into this third world country. We were in an area. We were making a movie in a major studio. But I'm in a third world country, and now I'm seeing right up front and living everything I saw on TV as a kid growing up, you know, you'd see it on TV, right? And so it didn't have that same effect. And now I got to know what the real world's like, what large portions of the world is like, you know? 
and these people are, you know, there's poverty and it's just, it's really debilitating. And I showed up there, the thing for me was I showed up there as a filmmaker and I'm going to make this creature feature action movie, Hollywood movie, you know, we're making a cool movie. And I'm there and I, I see the starvation and the poverty and I see the, the way of life of thir this third world area of this country is. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I just made, I'm making a movie? Yeah. Well, These people are, I mean, so I went, so it took me a while to get over that. And I thought, why am I here? And one of the guys, one of the producers I'm working with, Ramesh said, you don't understand, Gary, you know, you guys are going to hire like 100 people to work on this movie. We only needed a crew of about 25 or 30, but we ended up getting 100 people because of the budget and everything, money went further. And I said, yeah, I just feel bad. He goes, no, no, these 100 people are going to have a job for about three or four months. They're going to make enough money to last them the rest of the year. That's why you're here. And so it made me look at it differently because at first I'm like, who cares about cell phones and watches and cars when this is happening in the world? You know? So I got that big reality slap of what this, you know, how the world works. And I went, you know what, that's right. We're here to make a movie. We're doing this capitalism, this commercialized thing. But these people now are going to, you know, this group of people are going to make enough money to live off of after we're gone for a while. So it turned it into a positive thing. So that was the thing where I was, I was ready to leave. I didn't want to make this movie there. You know, once I got there, and of course I went, holy shit, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm bringing all these Hollywood actors there. I'm thinking, if I can't deal with this, how are all these young Hollywood kids from Beverly Hills going to deal with it? And it was very rough. So did the movie end in a classic Indian dance scene? Like <laughs> well, so the cool thing was is the, the, the Indian crew and wow. all the culture around there. I mean, these people are like, uh, you won't meet people like this to where it doesn't matter the situation that they're in at the moment. They're living their life. They're, they're you know, they're happy they're doing their thing, right? And so you, you get lulled over, you know. They're, they're very much like, yes, there's problems, but look, we have to keep going, you know. And they kind of, and the other thing was, is, you know, every night they were shooting these Bollywood musicals outside the hotel where we were staying. <laughs> so every night you, you, had all, you smell all the incense and the music and the lights and the Bollywood music, and you'd look out the window and, you know, these massive sets and there's all these musicals going on. So you can't sleep, right? And it was just a weird thing. I and mean, I'd get up in the morning and I'd have to go out in the swamp, you know, and water up to your crotch and shoot a giant crocodile eating people, right? <laughs> and I look over there and I see them all in the fancy dresses and, you know. And they're doing the dance. And they're all, they're, they're drinking their, their drinks and everything. And they're all doing the dances and stuff. And they're all high and dry. And I'm in a swamp over here <laughs> making a giant creature movie. But, um, but yeah, that was the one time where it was like, it, it, I could have left, you know. I was like very close to saying I'm coming home, and I went, no, you know, there's a reason why I'm here. And the movie was when I was making it. It was so hard to to pull everything off that we had to do that I was sure that it was ne that I don't think this is gonna work. And when we got the movie done and cut it all together, I'm like, wow, okay, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> so it turned out to be one of my better movies. But but yeah, so it's uh. But the great thing about movies is I've got to travel the world. And I've got to go places that I've never seen before, you know, and um, see how other people work. And I've worked with crews in, you know, Romania and Bulgaria and India and um, Transylvania and stuff. And what's interesting is you get a bunch of creative people together, it, you're all the same. You know, 
Doesn't matter in the world. Creative people getting together to make something, it just works, you know? Everybody pulls for it. Going back to Death Block, Escape from Death Block 13. Go to YouTube and see uh, yeah. trailers, some some really good scenes there. And I think that it's got that, um, I think it's got that old school feel to it. The retro yeah. action and, movie. And yeah. I think that people from my generation now are really into that retro feel. <clears throat> you know, and I think it's going to be an exciting movie and, and having just, you know, seeing Chris in it and then seeing the lead. Um, who is yeah. not Charles Bronson. <laughs> but you know, the crazy story about that was Gary called me up a week before and he goes, hey, I'm going to make you an associate producer. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Here it comes. And he goes, uh, I need you to do a few things for me, though. And I'm like, what's that? And he goes, this is your associate producer role. you got to be Bronzy, which is Robert Kovacs. They call him Bronzy. Handler. And I'm like, well, I don't know what a handler is. He goes, you got to make sure that... You pick him up at the hotel and you get him to set and you got to make sure. So he came in a week early and we went to a friend of ours, Mickey Skadova, and uh, we worked on fight scenes. And um, at first when he told me that, I'm like, I, I can't speak Hungarian and I don't know this guy and hopefully this is going to work out or this is going to be a pain in the ass. And we became best buddies. And I talk to him on Skype all the time, and or FaceTime and stuff Bron like that Bronze on Facebook. Bronze is great. And Bronze is the best, you know. And uh, just for frame of reference, the gentleman we're talking about looks exactly, exactly like like Charles Bronze. Exactly. I mean, he looks exactly. And uh, I, I remember it going through uh, family video, and I I see this movie coming out, and I was like, well, Charles Bronze is dead. How can he be in this movie? Has this thing been on the shelf for that I have to look at? I'm like, oh my gosh. This guy looks, and in the movie, it does. It really has that retro feel because you really think you're seeing Charles Bronson. Right. You really do. And it's crazy because I, I really, I was never really a Charles Bronson kind of guy, but I watched his movies knowing that I saw Robert and he was coming over and stuff, and in his movements and his his talk, mm -hmm. and he's basically patterned his whole life after Charles Bronson, and so we became like best buddies. We'd go out to eat. We'd go to the gym. And all this stuff. And Gary wouldn't get him a car because driving in Hungary is totally different than driving in the United States. And it's not that he wouldn't get him a car. It's just that we didn't want him to get in an accident, whatever. So I pick him up at the hotel and I take him to the gym. Then I take him back to the hotel and then I go pick him up and take him out to lunch or dinner or whatever. But that time was probably that movie from start to finish. And when it starts, it starts when I pick him up the first day at the hotel till it finishes is and we worked a little bit last week on doing some pickup shots and stuff. It's been the best experience I've ever had in the movie business. And I think a lot of it is because now I'm seeing what it's like to be a producer. And I'm like seeing what it's like to be behind the camera. And seeing what these guys go through rather than just being in front of the camera. And uh, it's made me appreciate being an actor more because it's just it's twice as hard to be behind the camera than it is to be in front of the camera. I mean, this guy's got a million things going through his mind at one time. Are these guys going to get it set on time? Um, is the camera going to be fully charged and ready to go? Is the caterer going to be here on time because we only got an hour for lunch? Is, you know, my makeup people going to be here on time because we got to be on set at 9 o'clock? Is the wardrobe people going to have our costumes ready to go? Seamstresses, everything's fitting tight and looking good. So it's not just directing. It's everything. I mean, Gary is... Being the director and the executive producer 
and everything else. I mean, I don't know how he sleeps at night. Well, yeah. you know, the the associate producer thing when I caught you, the other thing was that you didn't mention was, I mean, you know, one of my jobs is something I've always done with the movies is like as soon as I get an idea to make a movie, whether it be Mosquito or Escape from Death Block, the first thing I think of, oh, this will be great. And then I think, all right, who can I rope into this to help me get this done? Because it's a battle. So I go, okay, Chris, oh, you know what? We need the wrestlers. We need the, we, we need the inmates. And there's going to be fights and brawls. I'm thinking, oh, it's, it's got to be the wrestler. I get the wrestlers in, you know. They're all stunt. It's like stunt guys. So that was the other thing I mentioned to Chris was like, look, you've got to come in and you need to corral all your guys. You need to get them all on board with what we're doing and... You know, that was another huge part of what you did is and just you know, pulling and, in a and lot the sad, of people. And the sad thing about it is, and I hate to say this because I'm, I'm part of a group called Stunt Predators out of Cleveland, and they're just a bunch of, they're, a lot of them are just prima donna guys, you know. They're, they, they don't really care about selling the product. They care about making the check. Where the a lot of the ASWA wrestling guys, they just want to go out and perform. They want to put yeah. on a show. Yeah. So I got them for a little cheaper than what I would the regular stunt guys, Plus, they have the time of their lives, and they just want to come back on set. And it doesn't matter if they get paid or not. They just want to be in front of the camera, and they just want to keep. And they sold it. I mean, they brought it. They brought it for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fight scenes and all that stuff. They just brought it, and you know, it was kind of um, a blessing that. And they all know each other, and they've all worked against each other. So there's really no rehearsal time where you got to sit and, and rehearse everything because. They've been in the ring with each other, and they know what to do and stuff. And so, all in all, it worked out pretty good, you know. Well, they they fed off. Um, they've seen what you've done, what Chris has done with his with the movies, and how he you know wore a monster suit and he's doing all the acting stuff. And they're performers; they want to perform for an audience. And so they're like, "Well, this is great. You know, we do the same type of a thing." And that's like was a big deal. I thought, you know, if Chris is involved, you yeah. know, will, these everybody else will want to come in too, mm-hmm. you know. And it worked pretty good. So what do we got coming up besides Escape from Death Block 13? What else are you going to be I got a, I'm on a movie called The Wicked Ones, which is going to be shot down around Richmond, Kentucky. And I go in in November to do some work. Um, I got picked up, which I really can't say a lot about, but I got picked up on a movie called Wrong Turn, which is going to be a reboot for Netflix. I can't really say my part, but um, it'll be probably come out in uh, March. There's no truth that it's just the Chris Hahn story, wrong turn. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> um, I, was story in a, of your life. I was in a movie called The Effects, which was about a deportation, and uh, I played an ICE agent. Um, I got some other things. The Russo brothers are in town, and they're shooting stuff up in Cleveland, and I had an open audition for that. Haven't heard anything yet, but that's coming in the next couple of weeks. There's a, a movie going up there called uh, Jesus is My Homeboy. And it's about the Black Panther riots in the 70s. And I had an audition for that. I haven't heard anything yet. So I got some logs in the fire. I got a couple things set in stone ready to go. Um, and I'm always, But I'm always out there hustling. I'm always submitting to certain things. I got an agent in New Mexico. I got an agent in Cleveland. They're always submitting me for things. I got a manager, um, Carlos, who's in L.A. And he's always hustling for me. So... And uh, I got a great support. And the number one thing about being an actor and a stuntman is you need a good support like The Rock. The Rock has a support group of probably 20, 30 people that are always hustling for him, you know. Because the more work that I do, the more money Carlos makes, the more money my agent makes down in New Mexico or Cleveland. So it's always about getting out there, promoting yourself, hustling, and being on, and being on your A game. So it's always, always a grind. But you know what? 
in order to work, nobody's going to support and hustle if I don't hustle. So, so, so okay. So I want to want to go back to one of the big characters in Escape from Death Black Thirteen is the prison itself. Okay, I mean that's pretty amazing. That's a that's an amazing structure. It's it's kind of an eerie, you know, awe inspiring place. And so I want to circle back to to what our podcast is about, you know, from the shadows. Mm-hmm. And we've already had a girl from the Elena Ross, Elena who Ross, who was a tour guide, guide at the prison, room. gave us. Some really good stories. Really about, chilling stuff. Yeah, that, uh, supernatural so, stuff. So, and I know, Chris, you've told me a couple stories that you've, ex- mm-hmm. stuff you've experienced mm-hmm. in prison, but I want to ask Gary. So you've been combing through this footage. We were there morning to night, you know. One day till four o'clock in till the morning. Till four o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning. Did, have you seen anything or come across anything? And, uh... Video, audio, any pic- like it would be hard to happen? explain. Or did anything happen while we were just there doing stuff? Well, there's this one thing that keeps popping up like all through the movie. I don't know what happened. Is there's this big guy, a ball headed guy that's really <laughs> Thanks. And I said, is that like an inmate who was that everybody else got pissed off at and killed, and he's just harassed us? No, you know it's interesting because we did we. Um, it, you know, the Shawshank prison, you know, yeah. I mean, yep. we picked the place. It's iconic, right? And so um, I think we're actually the biggest movie to use it and actually use everything in and around there as a prison yeah. behind Shawshank. I know there are other movies, and I think they just did a day or two. But, um, no, you know, we we had to shoot our first week we shot. We had four in the afternoon until four in the morning. We had to work after the tours. They run tours all day. Yeah. It was part of the deal I struck with them early on and. Next time I'll strike a deal where I get the daytime. But um, no, so I, I I had been there many times, you know, just walking through, you know, before we did the movie and stuff. And it was kind of creepy, you know. You Even in the daytime, you don't think anything of it, but you just feel like you get that little tingle on the back here, you know, like on your back or something, like something's odd here. So I thought, you know, oh, i got to go from four in the afternoon to four in the morning. I'm thinking, oh, shit, man. That's going to be kind of freaky. I'm like, well, I'm glad I got about 300 other people here with me, you know. But no, you know, I honestly, I mean, I was so focused on the movie that, like, I didn't see or hear anything. Although, you know, we had stuff where, like, the camera batteries would die. Yeah. We just plugged them in, and, you know, they're, they're dead. We got to get new ones, and we take them back, and they're fully charged. So some of that happened, and some of the camera guys saw that. And sound-wise, no, you know, there's... A lot of echoing and weird stuff in the thing, but we had a lot of people running around doing stuff. So it's really hard to, to pull things out. I mean, I've been looking at the footage and thinking something's going to show up in the background on some of this. Footage. So like the three men and a, and a baby or whatever, yeah. where they see the supposed well, to be the ghost or whatever, or yeah. the or um, um, the Wizard of Oz, where we're going to see the, the guy the person hanging. I mean, himself. Phil Phil Garrett, he sent me a photo. That somebody on set must have taken like uh, one of the guys. Now and I know like, I know a couple of guys fake some stuff. Yeah, but well, well, he's I'm like, not sure. If now there's some good. photos because I got, I got like Becky Ingram did behind mm-hmm. the scenes photography on it, and she sent me all the photos that she took. You can see orbs mm-hmm. and okay. stuff like that. Yeah, and I can show you those sometime. But uh, yeah. you can see all that stuff. But I kind of went through them and looked, 
to see, but I didn't really see any like bodies that leaning up against the wall. Or, yeah, and I there was say, a guy coming out with a towel or a ghost come, with a towel coming out of the shower seat. Oh, I think that was when that you Shane. Oh <laughs> uh, no, yes, I was wearing my Johnny Paradise. But you know, it's going to be one of the things we're going to you know when the movie's done and people see it. Um, we had you know a lot of people, local people, a lot of talented people, and just extras and actors. A lot of people worked on the movie. And a lot of people I put in different parts, like, okay, you're an inmate in the background getting beat up. Now you're a guard in this scene over here wearing a hat. So I think one of the things that's going to happen with this movie, besides the audience sitting there watching it going, picking out how many different, where they're at in the movie, people are going to probably look and see if they can see anything else. you know. But I honestly have been so focused on editing, I haven't seen stuff. And... But I do, like, you know, when it gets to about 1 o'clock in the morning and I'm cutting footage and stuff and I'm in there, <laughs> you know, in the studio there by myself and it, you hear noises and stuff and you're thinking, and I'm looking down the corridor, the dark corridor and the solitary and I'm cutting, I'm like, I think I'm done for the night, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm half expecting something to show up in film and just kind of freak me out, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, the, the one scene that, that Jason and I are in together where we're down the, uh, in front of the cells and we're like, running towards Justin. Right. Okay? And you guys kept saying, go back farther, go back farther. And that was the first time I'd ever, and we're, I mean, we're beyond where there's even light. Mm -hmm. And we're standing back there. Yeah, it's nighttime. It was three in the morning. Yeah. And so we start going up, and all of a sudden, I think it was David Kirsch, the guy with the sound, is sitting in one of the cells with the boom, with the mic. Oh, he was just enjoying himself. And and we're walk up beside him, and he's like, Hey, how's it going? We're like, what are you doing, man? He said, this is peaceful. I like this. And he's, but he's sitting in the cell. We had yeah. no idea he was sitting there. And he's like, hey, how's it going? Now, I remember when I worked at Blood Prison, I did security at Blood Prison. Yeah. And they got all the fog. And then they got the lights going on. And on the fourth floor, there's an old story about a guy who caught his mattress on fire. And he pulls the mattress on top of him. And he ends up burning. And the day that he dies that room will get up to like 100 degrees. There's just a, there's a story about that. Yeah, we talk about that on the uh, podcast. Oh, yeah. Is that the, the guy who poured the turpentine right. on him. Right, okay. And caught himself on fire. Yeah. And they yeah. pulled the mattress on top of him so the guards couldn't save him, and he burnt to death. Yeah. But they say there's a certain day that he did that, that, that that cell will get up to like 100 degrees. You can't go in it. It gets really, really hot. Well, we were doing a walkthrough, clearing out all the people, whatever, and on the top, on the fourth floor... There's a shadow of a human being walking down and then turns around and walks back. In the cell block? On the, on the outside yeah, on the sidewalk the catwalk. in front of the, in the catwalk, right. On the fourth. Two on the fourth hours. thing. So I yell up there, hey, you got to get out of there. You know, you can't be up there. It's a range. And, um, it's a range. <laughs> and uh, so I went back into the, the, the holding area, I guess, and I told the lady who has the keys to unlock everything. There's a guy up on that fourth floor. She goes, there can't be. We padlocked all those doors shut. There's no way anybody can get up there. And uh, so we went back around, and there was that shadow in the corner, and then went around the corner and disappeared. And I said, see, there it is. And she saw the shadow, too. And then we went and checked the doors, and they were all locked. And that kind of freaked me out, because then whenever I did a walkthrough again, I always went with two or three people. So I wouldn't go by myself. On the fourth tier? Yeah. On the fourth tier up. And that was kind of freaky. And so you saw a shadow. We saw a shadow walking in the fog. You could see because they had yellow lights that would spin, and you would right, see right. the light that blows through that, and you saw that shadow. That really freaked me out. And then there was that one where the girl, she got pulled back into one of the cells, 
and it was a clump of her hair laying on the floor. She freaked out and broke down crying, and she wouldn't come back into the prison. And she she was, quit that night. She was somebody that worked. Yeah, it? she worked as a like one of the ghouls that would jump out of the cell and scream. Well, when she jumped, she got yanked back in the cell, and there was a clump of her hair laying on the ground. And it kind of freaked her out. She wouldn't come back. On the bottom floor? Yeah, on the bottom floor. She wouldn't come back. She see, quit that night. You see, I've heard the story from Chris about the person walking on the fourth. So when we're like back in, I'm like, oh my gosh, if Chris Hahn was scared. No, I wasn't scared. Oh, no. no, that's not how you told me this story. I, I, I pulled my shirt off and said, I'm the king of cell block 13. <laughs> <laughs> so. You want a shot at the title? <laughs> exactly. You want a shot at the title? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, so, like talking about the, the Wolfman and stuff is, um, and how the movies mm-hmm. come to be. Okay. The idea of the Genesis, mm-hmm. especially for like the horror movies or the creature movies or the. Like, how much, or did you just have an idea, oh, I want to just make a thing about big big mosquitoes, or or is there something that you, is that based in some sort of reality or some, you know, that somebody thinks, I mean, how much do you think that goes into, you know, you coming up with an idea for a movie or anybody, I mean, are, are there people out there that are making movies that they want her, you know, they experience something, mm-hmm. and they... They want to go make a movie so everybody else can experience it too. Well, yeah, I think you know uh, when I the mosquito thing. I mean, we used to go camping, so you know mosquitoes were all, in Michigan, <laughs> yeah. and so mosquitoes were always like a pain. In, you know, they bug the hell out of you. You know, and so when I was searching to make a movie as a filmmaker, you try to if you can get personal with something, if you can, if something you can have some knowledge on, or like you can get excited about, so you want to find that. You know, and it was like I I, I had the skill set, so it was the mosquito. But uh, I think so, because I, you know, I'm working on projects now, too, where I'm coming up with I have a couple of genre, you know, horror film things, and I'm like, well, what's, what scares me? Because, you know, we've seen a lot of these movies, you know, and I love all the paranormal stuff and the, all the ghost hunts and Bigfoot and all that, all that stuff. It's all fascinating. And if you, uh, if you experience something like that, that scares you, you know, if I think if I could get something that would scare me, perhaps that will scare a lot more people because I'm kind of jaded at it, you know? So I always try to look for those kind of things. And I think that's filmmakers that can tap into that, you know? Otherwise, you get handed a script or somebody gives you a story or, or shows you, like, something. You go, wow, that's pretty creepy. But, yeah, I think, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, somebody tapping on the window, you have your bunk beds at the window and there's somebody outside the window tapping on it, you know, you wake up, freaks you out, you know? You got the glass between you, but... You know, there's just something about that. There's, so just, there's certain things about, like, things that you saw as a kid. I can't tell you the movie. I'll, I'll never be able to remember the movie. But I remember being a kid, probably about seven, eight years old. Channel 8, all night, 8 movie, mm-hmm. scary movies. And this guy and this girl, they're in the back of this, you know, van, and they're trying to be a little romantic and stuff like that. It's one of those old, like, 60s, 70s vans. Where it has the window with the curtain that you can pull, <laughs> and the super one. van with I the carpet, all carpet shag carpet. Yeah, oh yeah, that's exactly what it was. So, and all of a sudden, you know, they're in the the you know they're about to engage in the act of Congress, you know, and 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 you hear <laughs> oh, it's a political movie. Yes, yes, and uh, and you hear this uh, you hear the sound outside, and the girl says, "What's that?" You know, whispers, and the guy says, "Well, I'll look out the window." And it's that reaching for 
the the, the, you drape. Know, the drape that he's going to pull it, and you instantly start to go, don't do, <laughs> don't it. do that, don't do it. <laughs> and of course, he pulls it, and there's this creature there, this thing, and everybody screams, and it's just like. Yeah, there, there's classic things that just scare people. And so now, now even as an adult, even as an adult, that's, that scared me. I won't, I won't do that. Like, I'm sitting there and, you go know, I've got park my... park in your van or pull back? No, I'm not going to go out in the, yeah, in the van. And, no, and so it's like, like I have, you know, sliding glass door at my mm-hmm. house. It has the curtains. It's like, I hear something, I'm like, I'm not pulling that curtain because... Right. I know the face is going to be right there. Right. It's going to scare me. And but that's universal. You know, that that what you just said is like, and it always works. And if, if you put that in a movie and the audience is led down a path and you prime them right, pull that curtain back and everybody jumps. Everybody's experienced that where you've turned around or you open the door and somebody's out the, ready to knock on the door. And so that's a universal thing of that shock value. The crazy thing is, remember when the clown controversy was going on and people were seeing clowns all over? I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I got to be to work at 5. So whenever I leave my apartment complex. On Clown Town. Preface the story. No, you're no, doing clown no, this town. is where oh. I go to my regular job. <laughs> okay, okay. At 5 o'clock in the morning. This is the Clown Town When story. I leave my apartment, I look around because... You don't know if a clown's going to come out from behind the corner and stuff. And it, it kind of freaks you out because there was, I remember I remember one time there was a guy parked out in front of the YMCA where I live. And he was sitting in his car at 7 in the morning, 6 in the morning when it was still dark. And he's dressed up like a clown. He's just sitting in his car. And they had to call the police. By the time the police got there, he was gone. But it was like, I go out of my apartment and I don't live in the best neighborhood in the world. And I'm looking around. And I walk into my car in the parking lot, which is in the carport, and I'm looking behind my car to see if a clown's going to pop up or something. And it kind of just freaks you out, you know? But it's that whole myth of right. there's things running around, but, you know? But do you see the irony in that? You played a killer clown. Yeah, I and know. And now you're looking for it. It's that universal, <laughs> that universal fear of the unknown. And that's where when we were started talking about as a you know as a filmmaker as a creative person if you can get people to use their own imagination you're going to put something in there scarier because i don't know what you went through as a kid like mm-hmm. you saw that movie the curtain pulled back i mean somebody knocked on the window when i was a little kid and you look out the window and the face is two inches away right everybody has something so if you can tap into that it's Every, like a universal i mean i don't think there's ever been anybody besides maybe someone as as brazen as giant paradise that hasn't as a kid ran and jumped on your bed because you were convinced that there was something underneath that bed underneath the bed that was going to grab you and and how many times you've been laying in bed and you're like I'm not letting my arm well you know the, 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 what, what was the movie it was it was Carrie and the hand reaches up out of the grave I would always be afraid of getting out of bed going to the restroom because I thought there was a hand going to grab me from under my bed or something like that it used to freak me <laughs> well, out like you know like <laughs> you know if, you have a, if you have a pet cat or whatever you know and you you step on the cat's tail and it screeches. Mm-hmm. And that instant loud noise, or you open the door or something and the, the cat bolts through or something. You know, it's the jump scare, right? Mm-hmm. And in movies now, we had the little sound effect like, and there it is, the right. accent. Um, but it's a it's the universal thing. What are, what's everybody thinking? You you get them to be thinking of something like, what scares you? It might be a clown or a wolf man. Or you know what really scares me is is this creepy you know mockingbird or something you don't know anything a tiger you know so you go you set that up what's outside that door what's outside that curtain so let me put you on the spot 
You got five seconds. Favorite horror movie of all time, Chris? Horror movie is probably. Well, I just saw one that wasn't too bad. Uh, it was called. Uh, Time's up. No, I said five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> well, I do like My the Devil's Rejects. I like Rob Zombie stuff. Okay. I like Rob. I like Rob Zombie's Halloween's. I would say I, I like those. Um, but there's a movie out there now called Charlie's Farm, oh, and it's God. on IMDb streaming channel. If you get that, watch that. That's pretty creepy. I, it really creeped me out. And uh, um, Sid Haggs in it. So is. Um, Kane Hodder, and so is uh, Bill Mosley. And so some of the... Guys, guys know, from Rob Zombie's. Yeah. Yeah. Rob Zombie's probably my... Besides Gary Jones. Because Gary Jones makes some... Boogeyman... The Boogeyman movies that he made were pretty creepy. You know, I, I enjoyed those. And uh, um, But no, I mean... I would say I'm, I enjoy Rob Zombie stuff. Gary, favorite all-time horror movie? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, that's the original. The original. The original. Mm-hmm. Has to be the original... Because uh, real quickly, um, I was too young to get into the show because of, of the rating, right? But we still got in, obviously. Um, <laughs> and my friends saw it before I did. And they came to school and they told me all the stuff that was in the movie. The chainsaws cutting people in half and heads are flying through the air. I mean, they described everything. And I went, holy shit, a movie that has <laughs> all that in it? And... Um, it's a podcast, I guess we can say. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I finally get to the, I get into the movie. We had a friend who worked at the theater, so he got me in. I went in and saw the movie. Not one of, not one of the things they described was in it, to that degree. And I watched it, and I loved the movie. And it just was, it was scary, and it was humorous and dark humor, and it was just too real. It was documentary like. And I left that movie kind of in a daze. And I'm like, the movie making was so good that I was into it. And afterwards, I dissected that as how you make movies, you know, and uh-huh. I watched it a million times. And I realized, not too shortly after I left the theater, I went, holy cow, that's great filmmaking because these guys describe stuff that was in the shadows that you didn't see. You know, there's a scene in there where Franklin's in the wheelchair and she's being pushed through the woods. He's got the flashlight. Leatherface steps out with a chainsaw, starts cutting into him, and they cut. It's a close-up of a flashlight and a guy's hand wiggling, and a wide shot of him from behind, and you don't see the chainsaw doing anything. And people were describing everything that was happening. And when I saw that, it was shocking. And I remember after the show, all that stuff they describe is not in there. It's in your head. That movie is not as bloody as the movies we have today, but it's so well made. Jason, and you can't say mosquito. Mine was. The Mask of Satan with Barbara Steele. And secondary, it would be uh, Christopher Lee's movie. Um, I forget what it was called now. I, I even own the movie. It took me a while to locate it. It was a, a movie called um, uh, Horror Hotel. What, what about those that you like? Well, the themes that they have, uh, vampire-type theme, both of them, and uh, they were just very creepy and very well done. The Mask of Satan with Barbara Steele um, was an Italian horror movie, and that was made, um, I forget exactly where it was made, but it was portrayal of uh, the witch trials of the 1600s. Um, Actually, so was was the... um, the Horror Hotel with Christopher Lee. It was a college student 
that got caught up doing a research paper, not to give the film away, and she got caught up uh, going to a town called Whitewood, which was back in time, back in that era, but yet it was current. So when you went to this town and you, went you back found how to get to Whitewood, you went back in the time. It's kind of like that Stephen yeah. King so little short story well about... Done. Going back to rock and, and roll. These were yeah. both black and white movies. Uh, early, I would say, put them at probably the early fifties. Both of them. I tell you, one of the other ones that I really liked, Silent Hill. Did you ever see the movie Silent no, Hill? I did not see it. Oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. You guys are way. Uh, I should say, I should say, The Exorcist too. Yeah. The Exorcist. Oh, that yeah. scares me. That scares scares me to this day. Well, my favorite scary movie because it's. And it's going to be weak in you guys' mind because you guys are hardcore. <laughs> but I like stuff that's based on Herbie Goes on to Real. No. No. <laughs> SpongeBob. Uh, it's called Lassie. Big Lassie. Well, that was great. Yes. I like The Burbs. Did you ever see The Burbs? Yeah, that was good. Okay. Do you, and it's the scariest part about it is, is that it's so real about a neighborhood. About, I mean, I've lived in those neighborhoods where you don't know, like, right. what's so and so doing over there, and everybody's nose is in everybody else's. You know, business. that's one of my girlfriends. That's her favorite movie. She loves she that. Movie. And I watched it, and I thought, like, I watch it, and I'm like, well, yeah, there's not really. It's, it's the whole what's going on in that what's house. What's going on? And mm-hmm. and it's it, and it's just it's not that it's really scary from of what's going on in the screen, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like. God, I know these people. Mm. I live. I've lived in these places. Rear window. That, that's what's. Yeah, that's what's mm. scary. It's like, man, oh man. And so then you really start to wonder. Well, is somebody get buried in the basement. <laughs> but then, the the sad part is, is all you gotta do is read the news every day, and somebody is getting buried <laughs> in the basement, and it's the least likely person you suspect. Five seconds. It's a vignette. Trilogy of Terror, 1975, starring Karen Black, where they tell three different stories. The Zuni fetish doll, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen it, where the little doll comes alive with the knife. It starts off with the little spirit, and it chases her throughout the apartment. That's great. It scared me. I remember, <laughs> well, 1975, I would have been six years old. And I remember... Because, and what's really great about this, this is 1975, but they used a real doll. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it's a little doll. Oh, it was like, doll, it's, yeah. it's an African, like, Zulu warrior doll. I don't know if you've seen it, Jason. Yes, I've seen that movie. And, it's a very good movie. Oh, my gosh. And it, it just chased her all over the apartment, just screaming, yang, 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 yang. But this, <laughs> if you've never seen it, it will it's scare good. you. And for a six-year-old kid, it scared me to death. It just absolutely terrified me. But I couldn't quit watching it. I mean, it was one of those things where you just... <laughs> You're, you're covering your face and your eyes poking out and you can't help but watch it. It scared me to death. And you know, there was a, it was a golden time because that was like the ABC movie of the weeks. Yeah. And they would, once a week there'd be these great movies. There was that and then Night Stalker was one oh, I saw. Yeah. And they, were, um, they weren't hardcore movies. I mean, it wasn't right. a blood fest or no, anything. No. They were on TV and yet, like you said, it's just that imagery. Oh, running around with that knife. The 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 one that always got played, uh, the original Gargoyle movie. Hmm. Oh yeah, okay. your favorite movie. I, I it was it was it was one of my favorite movies. And the scene that goes, you know, I don't know how real it could be. 
like you said, you know, it's real life. But when that car flips over and they're in that car and the gargoyles walking around the outside and it's the click, 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 and they're strapped into the car and what's going to happen? You know, is the gargoyle going to rip It's Jurassic Park. Is it right? Yeah, no, that, I'm saying but that's the look at movies. One of the one of the see the influences. It's do you the kids remember trapped in a car? Yeah, park. there you go. The, the ABC movies. I remember as a kid watching Bo Svensson and the movie Snow Beast. Snow Beast, yeah. Snow Beast. That would that scared yeah. me. That the creature in that, and, and once again, they didn't show the creature that much. No, but it was a guy in a suit, and it it just terrified me. You know, Terrified. one of the scary movies, and, and they didn't even use a creature, was Cujo. Oh, yeah. That was a freaking yeah. movie. Well, being yeah. a male Because that girl couldn't get out of that car. Being a male man, I totally understand. Well, that, and, you know, harkening with, with, with Stephen King, love the movie Silver Bullet mm-hmm. as a kid. Great werewolf movie. And then sort of the werewolf movie that sort of, in my opinion, sort of turned everything around was American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that chain, that was, I remember going to the movie, seeing that. And the and the werewolf was so different. It, it was so it was on all fours, and it was just it totally took that werewolf genre at a different. You angle. know, for me though, the I would say American Werewolf in London. But what came out about a year before that, or a year and a half before that, was The Howling. Oh yeah, yeah. and that was the first. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time you got to see. They did where they were doing the transformations with the special makeup effects, right. and it was and the movie is really good. It's really humorous too. There's a lot of dark humor right. in it, but it started to trend. It started to go that way, and the guys that did the makeup were proteges of Rick Baker, who did American Werewolf. But American Werewolf took it to the tenth degree. That's where it went completely there, and it changed werewolf movies. You're right. And you know, it made and them the, the movie that, that I love, I'm not going to say it's my favorite movie, werewolf movie, but I love movies, is that movie Dog Soldiers, mm-hmm. where they took the werewolf even even different. And yeah. then uh, your buddy House was yeah. in a was in a werewolf movie called uh, what something was that Phase. Phase. Well, Late Phases. Late, Late Phases. Phases. That was and, pretty and good. And it was good because yeah. the werewolves, the, the werewolves reminded me a lot of the werewolves from, yeah. from Dog Soldiers. Really good. Good makeup, yeah. really good. Bob songs. Kurtzman from Crestline made those. Right. Bob Kurtzman, creature. Club. Really good, r- really yeah. good werewolf stuff. So it's good. It's interesting how you can go back to the genres that you know. Well, we grew up. I grew up with these movies, these uh, werewolf and Frankenstein that were made in the 1930s. Uh-huh. And every 20, 30 years, these things get reinvented, get flipped, and turned into new ones. We used to watch the ABC movie of the week back in the you know late '60s and early '70s, and there'd be the Creature a Week or there'd be the action thing. All these great movies. Well, you got the Sci-Fi Channel. There was a whole run for the last 10, 15 years, which we've done several, were creature features, you know, all the way up to the Sharknado stuff. So it's kind of interesting that what's going to come next, you know. Uh, I'm excited for like young filmmakers and people to go out there and see all these things. And go, hmm, how can I make that the next best werewolf movie? Or, you know, zombie movies have kind of been like, they've been done so much in the TV shows, they don't interest me anymore. I'm waiting for someone that's going to get me back into the zombie genre. Because right. I was out of it, I, I'd seen all the movies, and of course, the George Romero, Romero ones, you know, um, Dawn of the Dead with the shopping mall oh, was yeah. great. Yeah. And then when, they, when that, the reboot came up, the remake, which was about six, seven years ago or eight years oh, it's ago. It's been longer than that now. 
Oh yeah, ten, with, with ten Bing Rames and uh, exactly. Yeah, that's longer than you think. Now the zombies were fast and it was it was creepy and everything, and it kind of reinvented it, brought it back again. And of course, The Walking Dead. Now that they're there, I'm like, I'm done with the zombies. Who's going to come up with the twist on that that gets me back on? You know, as a film, excellent v- zombie movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, Train to Busan, which is a Korean-made zombie movie. It's excellent. It's on uh, Amazon or Netflix. If you get a chance to watch it, it it's is a, it subtitled or? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's subtitled, but it's, it's, um, but I think I actually watched it with the dub voices. I actually think I did, but it, it takes, it takes the zombie, you know, genre and it does a little something Changes different it. and it's fantastic. It's cool. A, it's a really good movie. I have to check that out. Our newest member from the Shadows, in the, from the Shadows podcast is, uh, Ron. And Ron has a couple of scripts that he's working on that carry it in a different direction. And I'm sure I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but um, he'll probably be sharing that with you and our audience here shortly. Mm-hmm. Well, gentlemen, we really appreciate you coming in. Um, uh, we're all fans of, of movies, especially horror movies and stuff like that. But uh, uh, it was a pleasure, you know, Chris. Thank you. And then Gary, um, unique perspective on on filmmaking and uh and, and bringing that vibe back to, to movies, that retro feel, the excitement that uh, that we saw with when we were kids in movies. So, yeah, and the, and the best part, you guys are local. You know, we're That's making right. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be able to help us out and share some of this information. Oh no, I enjoyed it. I love doing the podcast stuff. It's great. Great, great. Glad to hear that. So, and we're and we'll be looking out. Very soon for the escape from Death Block. Escape from Death Block. Yeah, I'll go to YouTube and see the trailer. Can't is it, wait. Now, is there any truth before we go off that I was originally going to be the lead, but I'm too good looking, so you had to go to Chris? Yeah, Park. it's what Andrew I heard too. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been working out at the gym with Chris. And of course, you know, he, you know, he's, he's kind of really putting me through the mill there. So he got the part. I'm sorry. I heard that originally you wanted King Kong Bundy. Wow. He had passed away, so you got the guy that looked just exactly like right. him. Yes. Yeah. Just King Kong Bundy was a little better shape than me. Uh, That's true. <laughs> uh, on that note, um, since this will be coming out close to Halloween, have a hop- happy Halloween, and go check out some of the movies we talked about, and then when uh, Escape from Death Block 13 comes out. And we would love to hear sure from our listeners your favorite movies, okay. uh, horror movies, and why. Right. And, and if you ever want to see anything that I've done or Gary done, you can always go to IMDb and punch our names in and see all the stuff that we're involved in or we've got coming up and stuff like that. Yep. Cool. All right. Oh. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, a final word. Please visit us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash from the shadows podcast and on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash from the shadows podcast. You can visit our webpage at from the shadows podcast dot or contribute to our Facebook discussion page called after the shadows and tweet us on our Twitter feed at twitter.com forward slash podcast underscore from. Thank you for joining us. 
and we look forward to hearing from you all. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. Hold up, ladies and gentlemen. Let me turn you back over to your host, Shane Grove, with a word from this week's sponsor. We would like to thank a new sponsor here from the Shadows Podcast, Breezy's Pizza, where owner Sean Ridgway guarantees the quality of every pizza he sells. Hey, what's there a bite in my pizza? All right, Jerry. You have just experienced a quality pizza from Breezy's, where Sean takes a bite out of every pizza he sells. So don't eat a pizza unless there's a bite out of it, because it just won't be a Breezy's pizza. <laughs> God only knows what's hiding in our shadows. God only knows what's hiding in our You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.